0: It took a lot to get Dr. Jerome O'Ziel on the stand. Three years, a Supreme Court ruling, the end of an affair. But now he was finally here.
1: In a soap opera twist, this man, Dr. Jerome O'Ziel, has become the focus of the case of California versus Menendez.
0: Ironic, isn't it? The person the Menendez brothers trusted with their secret could now send them to death row. It was, in fact, their parents who had first sent them to therapy years ago. Jose and Kitty couldn't have known that decision would ultimately lead to this day in court. The Menendez brothers ended up in Dr. Oziel's office a couple of months after they murdered their parents. Eric couldn't stay quiet anymore. Lyle was furious at his younger brother for dragging their therapist into this mess. He had reason to be upset. If Eric hadn't confessed to Dr. Oziel... They would be free. I'm your host, Vinny Politan, and this is Murder and the Menendez Brothers, a Court TV mystery. I'm a former prosecutor and journalist and now lead anchor for Court TV. Today, episode four, Rhyme or Reason. As you'll recall, the California Supreme Court had already ruled that the brothers' taped confession couldn't be part of this trial. But the prosecution had the next best thing, Dr. Ozeal as their chief witness. He was the only person who could testify about the brothers' motives.
1: Much of the case against the Menendez brothers is based on a confession Eric Menendez allegedly gave to Beverly Hills psychologist Jerome Ozeal.
0: He alone could help the prosecution prove the murders were premeditated. Were the brothers remorseless? Were they mired in guilt? Had they spent therapy sessions talking about the sexual abuse that they say drove them to murder? So the prosecution was thrilled to have Dr. Ozeal in court, even if he wasn't so thrilled to be there. But the defense knew his testimony would be devastating for the Menendez brothers. So Leslie Abramson made it clear that she would, quote, attack his credibility in every way known to man and god it wasn't that difficult to question his character by then california's board of psychology had put his license on probation it wasn't clear he would even be allowed to practice the board accused Ozeal of having had quote a sexual social or business relationship with two patients he had denied the charges his reputation was in tatters but he was still the prosecution's most valuable witness.
2: Thank you. Dr. Oziel, what do you do for a living, please?
0: I'm a clinical psychologist. That's prosecutor Pamela Bazanich questioning him. Oziel would go on to tell the court what Eric had told him in the first therapy session after the shotgun killings.
1: Well, from that point on, uh, Eric began describing in pretty elaborate detail um, exactly uh, what happened. They began to tell me all about how the murder took place and and all the
0: details of of the murder. By now, the jury had already heard these details from investigators, but only Ozeal had listened to both murderers describe their family life.
1: For um, a significant period of time, uh, Eric told me uh, things about his father.
3: Did uh, Eric Menendez describe for you um, in particular what it was that he was upset with his father about?
0: That's prosecutor Lester Kuriyama. Yes, he did. What did he say? Well,
1: basically that they hated their father, that they, uh, they felt they had to kill him because uh, he put them down, he controlled their every uh, activity, he controlled them in all ways, he uh, made them feel not adequate, he, he made them feel inferior, he,
0: uh, he dominated them, he you know, couldn't, uh, couldn't be pleased. The prosecution didn't deny the claims that Jose was emotionally and mentally abusive. Instead, they argued he didn't deserve to be killed for it. As for Kitty, the brothers had gone back and forth over
1: whether the mother really should be killed um, because their emotional sense, as they related to me, was that the mother didn't deserve to be killed um,
0: on her own and for, for who she was. Did you get that? Ozeal testified that the brothers debated whether their mother deserved to live or die, like gods. The prosecution suggested she might have been in the wrong place at the wrong time.
1: They couldn't find or figure any way to be able to proceed with murdering the father without also murdering the mother. They also felt that they were putting the mother out of her misery, that she was a a miserable, unhappy lady. And uh, by killing her, they would be uh, putting her out of her misery.
0: Putting her out of her misery, as though Eric and Lyle felt like they'd done their mother a favor. But the therapist did make clear that Eric was shaken up as he talked about the murders. He had to get it off his chest.
1: Eric felt a need to commit the, the murder relatively quickly, or he basically thought that he would lose the emotional ability to, to commit the act.
0: Lyle, on the other hand
1: wanted to, to take some time to plan it out more effectively to make sure that it was as perfect as could be. Um, and Eric just didn't feel that he could do that.
0: This dynamic came up over and over again in court. Lyle was more calculating, the leader of the two. Eric was following along. Ozil's testimony showed the jury that the murders had been planned. They weren't a violent response in self-defense, as the brothers' attorneys claimed. In court, Dr. Ozeal came across as poised, and yet he was scared enough of the Menendez brothers that he moved his family into hiding.
1: I uh, felt in the prior session that uh, they that there was a uh, strong threat to my life. Both
0: juries were present at this time. Defense attorneys Leslie Abramson and Jill Lansing occasionally leaned over and whispered to each other. Hurricane Lyle looked unaffected, even when Bizanich brought up a threat Lyle made.
2: Could you tell us about that, please?
1: Yes. Um, after he told me that he he wasn't sure that he wanted to talk to me anymore at all, uh, I um, concluded that was extremely menacing. And he just uh, shook my hand and and said, uh, "Good luck, Dr. Rosiel," which I took again to be menacing and threatening.
2: What What was the tone of voice he used with you when he said, "Good luck, Dr. Rosiel"? Was it friendly? Was it
1: no? Was it, it was an ominous sort of good luck, Dr. Ozeal. I mean, like a, a threatening good luck, Dr. Ozeal. It definitely wasn't a uh, friendly good luck, Dr. Ozeal.
0: Ozeal calls Lyle menacing and threatening repeatedly throughout his six days of testimony.
1: He was extremely uh, upset, threatened, threatening, menacing. He was uh, just uh, extremely, uh, I think, threatened and threatening. And uh, he was very menacing. The menacing comments really were interspersed throughout the entire time, I would say that he began expressing uh, threatening or menacing comments. Uh, I um, concluded that, that was extremely menacing.
0: He didn't say all of those at once, but over the course of his testimony, it felt like he had. The prosecution wanted the juries to think the brothers were a threat to Ozil's life. If jurors focused on his fear, they might forgive him for speaking publicly about the private therapy sessions. Ozeal had to come across as a compelling witness, someone who the brothers had threatened. Of course, Abramson wasn't having any of it. She'd spent years fighting before the California Supreme Court to keep Ozeal out of this trial. He was here now, of course, but she wasn't going to let him get off easily. Ozeal had betrayed his promise of confidentiality to his patients, so she relitigated all of it for the juries, all to make him look bad.
4: Is it a basic tenet of therapeutic treatment that patients be told that what they tell their psychologists are like what they tell their priest, confidential?
1: No, I, w- I wouldn't ever make the, uh, the analogy that what patients uh, tell their psychotherapist is the equivalent of what they tell
0: their priest. Abramson argued there should be sanctity in the therapist-patient relationship. She questioned Ozeal aggressively. He started to waver. She wanted to make him lose his cool.
4: In June of 1989, did you become acquainted with a woman named Judalon Smith?
0: Um,
1: Yes, I did.
4: Were you having a relationship with Judalon Smith, which had a sexual component? Yes, I was. Did you ask Judalon Smith to come to your office on October 31st in order to eavesdrop on your therapy sessions with the Menendez brothers that day?
1: Actually, it was quite the contrary. Well, did you,
4: can you answer that question, yes or no, Dr. Oziel?
0: I don't think I can. You
4: can't answer that, you did did you ask him to be there?
0: No, I didn't. Remember, Judalon Smith told the cops that Oziel had asked her to come to his office during his session with the brothers, but Oziel contradicted her on the stand.
1: I do not recall Judalon Smith being there that I saw her. I was in session with uh, Eric and Lyle uh, for approximately four to four and a half hours and um, I would have no way of knowing whether anybody else uh, came into my uh, waiting room while I was in session with somebody. So the answer is, to the best of my knowledge, no, she was not there.
4: So are you saying she wasn't there or are you just saying you don't remember?
1: I don't believe she was there.
4: Well, you don't believe she was there? I,
1: don't, I don't recall Judalon Smith as having been there, no.
4: Was it raining
1: that night? I have
0: no idea whether it was raining or not.
4: Were you wearing clothes that night?
0: Uh, Yes, I was wearing clothes. It seemed Leslie Abramson was trying to break the prosecution's chief witness. She wasn't shy about this kind of thing.
4: You're certain of that?
0: I am certain I was wearing clothes. That's correct Ms. Abramson.
4: It's not that you believe you were wearing clothes. You know you were wearing clothes
0: not only could he not remember details his credibility as a therapist was suspect he was sleeping with his patient the ultimate conflict of interest buzanich later told court tv she thought this tactic was a diversion after all was ozil's reputation as a therapist relevant to a case about the murder his patients committed that was something the juries would have to decide for themselves one juror told court tv after the trial
3: this has got to be One of the least credible, least honest people I have ever had the pleasure of witnessing.
0: Dr. Ozeal wasn't exactly winning the hearts of the juries, but Americans at home on their couches, they were riveted. The prosecution had to draw attention back to the brothers. This trial was about their crimes, after all. The prosecution basically had to prove they were sociopaths, you know, without using that word. Remember, the judge had barred it from being used in court.
3: Dr. Ozeal, did either defendant tell you they killed their parents due to physical abuse? No. Did either defendant ever tell you they killed their parents due to sexual abuse?
1: No, they did not.
3: Did either defendant ever tell you their parents posed any physical threat to them?
1: No, they did not.
3: Did either defendant ever tell you they killed their parents in self-defense?
0: No, they did not. Thank you. I have no, nothing further, Honor. The prosecution argued that if the brothers had gone to Ozeal of all people to confess the murders, they would have talked about their motive, too. But to the defense, that was a high bar.
4: To do that, he would have had to reveal the shameful, in his opinion, secrets that he had spent most of his life concealing.
0: That's Abramson again talking about Eric. If Eric had been molested in the weeks before the murders, was it really fair to assume he would have told his shrink about it? In the 90s, there wasn't a whole lot of understanding about the shame and guilt that sexual abuse victims experience, but Abramson was trying to get people to wake up. So was Paul Mones, a child abuse specialist and lawyer who spoke to Court TV shortly after the Menendez trial ended. He had served as an expert for the defense. People who killed their parents now are not seen as they used to be 10 or 15 years ago as being crazy or just being evil, the evil seed. Now there's a rhyme and a reason to it, just like with battered women. But remember, he's an expert at the forefront of this field. Some of the public did not see a rhyme or reason behind these killings back then. Decades later, we understand a little more about how hard it is for a victim of abuse to speak out.
4: The truth is that sexual abuse is shockingly common.
0: This is Dr. Susan Clancy. She began studying child abuse at Harvard in 1995 and has written a book about it called The Trauma Myth.
4: Today in the United States, one out of 10 people has been touched by someone in a sexual way as a child. And 90% of them will never have told anybody as a child. And that's the reality. And what that shows is it's shockingly common and it messes people up. People afterwards feel ashamed. They're depressed later on. They have sexual issues. This is a massive public health problem.
0: But at the time, the prosecution and some of the public wasn't buying it. Here's a juror who spoke to Court TV after the trial was over. I didn't buy the sexual part of it because there was no evidence shown to me. You know, I mean, where was it? Zanit herself later said...
2: People have to be held accountable for what they do, regardless of how they're feeling, because there are a lot of abused people who don't commit crimes.
0: And even if abuse could justify the crime, the question for Court TV reporter Terry Moran was... How do you prove abuse? That's a tough obstacle for the defense. As the day for the brothers to take the stand approached, the number of Court TV subscribers grew. When the trial began in July of 1993, uh, Court TV was only on a small number of cable systems in Southern California. But there was a buzz that was going on in uh, Los Angeles, and uh, people started calling their cable companies and saying, hey, we want to watch that Menendez trial. That's Robert Rand, the author and former reporter. Within a period of several months, uh, Court TV ended up on almost all of the cable systems in Southern California and on many other uh, cable systems uh, around the country. Court TV added 3 million subscribers nationwide about a month into the trial. By this point in the trial, the brothers had taken on a kind of celebrity. Some people found them attractive. Others took up their cause. Victims of sexual abuse wrote them letters. Fans called into Court TV saying incredible things. We had a few co-workers read them for us.
4: Lyle is a phony,
3: cold-blooded killer. I hope there's zero chance for acquittal. I believe that Lyle's telling the truth. When Lyle purchased three Rolexes, who is the
2: third one for?
0: The LA Times quoted a 24-year-old woman named Regina Woods who was camping out in front of the courtroom to get a seat for Eric's testimony. We had someone read this one, too.
2: I just think they're both so cute. I hope they won't be convicted of murder.
0: These fans had only gotten a chance to catch glimpses of the brothers on television. They hadn't spoken yet. Eric and Lyle looked so strikingly similar with the same deep set eyes, but by his demeanor, it was clear that Lyle was older. He seemed more in command. His face was stone cold. Most of the time, he didn't give much away. Leslie Abramson had Lyle wear cashmere sweaters that were in grays and blues most days. Eric, the younger brother, wore pastel-colored sweaters of pink and sea foam. Eric had a thick head of curly hair and a widow's peak framing his chiseled face. Compared to his brother, Eric seemed nervous, less sure of himself. It was now fall. The defense had been waiting for the right moment to bring the brothers forward to defend their own crimes. Lyle went first. Joseph Lyle Menendez. Before we listen to the testimony of the Menendez brothers, I have to warn that there's quite a bit of graphic detail about sexual abuse in the rest of this episode. If you need to tune out, I would recommend doing so now until the next episode.
5: Did you love your mom and dad? Yes. On August 20th, 1989, did you and your brother kill your mother and father? Yes. Did you kill them for money? (laughs)
6: That no? no.
5: Did you kill them because you wanted to pay them back for the way they had treated you? Excuse me, I reject that
0: if you're not
6: No.
5: Why did you kill your parents?
0: Because we were afraid. With those words, the defense began to get at the heart of their case. The brothers killed out of fear for their lives, not for greed.
1: It was kill or be killed, Menendez testified, saying that he and his younger brother Eric had threatened to go public about years of alleged sexual abuse at the hands of their parents, Jose and Kitty Menendez. Lyle and Eric decided to strike before their parents could, attacking them in the den of their Beverly Hills
0: mansion. If the defense team could prove it was self-defense, they could save Eric and Lyle from the death penalty at the very least. Here's law professor Lori Levinson. It
4: certainly, frankly, is not a defense to say that I had to kill them because I had been abused. There are other legal requirements on
0: self-defense. That's why they were really arguing more like an imperfect self-defense. Imperfect self-defense is a legal idea that essentially means a defendant believed they were facing imminent danger. First, the defense asked Lyle about his father's violent behavior.
6: He just grabbed me by the arm and, and uh, as soon as I got in the back of the car he just punched me straight in the face and I went back against the, the window and he grabbed my neck. And he said, don't ever embarrass me like that again or I'll kill you.
5: What did you do?
0: Well, I didn't do anything. I just sat there. I had blood all over my shirt. Then, the defense asked Lyle about Kitty's verbal attacks.
6: She would be Throwing things and, and, and screaming and flailing and wanting and trying to hit you and, and saying you're a bastard and uh, it, <clears throat> she cursed a lot and then uh, wait till your dad gets home I'll tell him the things that you didn't do today and, and uh, I wish you were never born and why can't you be like your brother and what's the matter with you and, and then I would try to say something she would say shut up I don't want to hear it no. Uh, You're stupid. I hate you.
5: How old were you when you heard things like, I wish you were never born?
3: Seven.
0: Seven. About an hour into his testimony, Lansing began to ask Lyle about the sexual abuse.
5: And between the ages of six and eight, did your father have sexual contact with you? Yes. How did it start?
6: Um, It just started with, uh, after sports practices, he would massage me, and, uh, we would have these talks, and he would show me, and he would
0: uh, fondle me, and he would ask me to do the same with him. For the first time, The commanding older brother wept in court. Lyle's voice started to shake as he talked about the abuse. It began to change.
5: And how did it change?
6: We would be in the bathroom, and, uh... Um, it would... He would put me on my knees, and... He would guide me, all my movements, and I would, um... Have oral sex with him.
5: What else did he do to you?
6: He raped me. Did you cry? Yes.
2: Did you bleed? Yes.
5: Were you scared? Very. Did you ask him not to? Yes. How did you ask him not to?
6: I just told him, I don't, I don't,
3: sorry.
6: I just told him that I didn't want to do this and that it hurt me. And he said that he didn't mean to hurt me. (laughs) And he loved me.
0: It was hard to argue with Lyle's words that day. The prosecution had called them liars throughout the trial, and the papers cast doubt on their abuse defense. But now, the courtroom was in tears.
1: The day that Lyle Menendez testified, you could have heard a pin drop in the courtroom.
0: That's one of the jurors on Eric's jury, Hazel Thornton.
3: It was riveting. And
1: it was also so believable that I remember thinking either that he's the best actor I've ever seen in my life or he's telling
0: the truth. Think of how difficult it must have been for the prosecution to cross-examine Lyle after his words silenced an entire courtroom. How could Bazanich counter these stories without sounding heartless? So she did something unexpected. She didn't really question his sexual abuse story at all. Instead, she turned the courtroom's attention to something as mundane as a coffee table. Bazanich brought out a photo of the gruesome crime scene. It was a not-so-subtle reminder of what this trial was truly about. The bodies of Kitty and Jose were sprawled on the floor and slumped on the couch, and in front of them, there was a coffee table. It was all a setup to get him to admit That his parents were hardly a threat that night they were moviegoers on a couch
2: do you recognize the glasses that are here there appears to be a glass with liquid do you recognize those as being the glasses that your family used to drink from yes and you see there's a michael jackson cassette tape here
6: Right. did
2: your family have a michael jackson cassette tape
6: i'm sure they did
2: there appears to be some uh papers here from ucla do you see those papers here yes your brother was about to go to UCLA, wasn't he? Yes. Now, what on this coffee table was threatening to you?
0: Nothing. Jose and Kitty were defenseless with nothing but the clutter of family life in front of them. Bazanich strutted away from the lectern. She looked satisfied with what her rapid round of questioning just proved to the jury. This whole time, Eric sat next to Leslie Abramson, watching his brother's testimony. Tears welled up in his eyes. Now, it was Eric's turn to take the stand. Abramson cut straight to the chase.
4: Mr. Menendez, you've heard the testimony of your brother that you and he killed your parents on August 20th,
6: 1989. Did you not? Yes, we
4: did. And what do you believe was the originating cause of you and your brother ultimately winding up, shooting your parents?
6: Um, me telling.
4: You telling what?
6: Me telling Lyle that, uh.
4: You telling Lyle what? Was it you telling Lyle about something that was happening?
6: My dad. <laughs> my dad had been molesting me. I just, I
0: wanted to stop Eric said he endured abuse until just before the murders. He seemed to feel guilty for having caused this whole mess. He was desperate to not let his childhood secret become public. I knew it was extremely abnormal and I wasn't going to let anyone find out. The mood was still somber in the courtroom, but Eric was no longer crying. He spoke more plainly now.
4: Did you think what was happening with your father was all his fault or did you think it was partly your fault?
6: No, I thought it was
0: probably my fault.
4: In what way was it your fault?
6: Uh, I never stopped him and then I let it go on.
4: What were you thinking of doing?
6: I was thinking of just killing myself. I was in a daze and I didn't know what to do. And I just, I just wanted to die. I didn't, life no longer mattered. And uh, I didn't know what to do. I thought of telling Lyle, I thought of, I thought I couldn't do that that it would be too embarrassing, and that I couldn't
0: admit it. The brothers took the stand for 18 days in total. America was watching closely. These 18 days convinced some jurors that the brothers had to do what they did, but not all.
3: The abuse helps explain how they might have reached the conclusion that their lives were in danger. Whether or not somebody abuses you,
0: you do not have the right to kill them or to hurt them, and you should be held accountable for that. The debate between jurors was happening outside of court, too. During the trial, Court TV had opened up its phones to the public whose calls would air some nights.
3: I do believe that the boys were sexually molested. If they hadn't been caught, they would be getting away with the world.
0: As the trial progressed, the prosecution didn't interrogate the brothers about the sexual abuse, but they did try to catch them in lies. And it worked. And uh, even though you've lied in the past,
3: you're telling the truth now, aren't you?
0: Yes, I am. The prosecution's Lester Kuriyama was reminding the juries that these brothers lied from the get-go. Then Kuriyama asked what he really wanted to ask. Did you truly
3: go to the Santa Monica Big Five store on the morning of August 18th to mm-hmm. buy these handguns? Definitely. And a doubt, I did. You and Lyle did. Yes. And you and Lyle actually looked in this case and you selected these guns and you were told you couldn't leave the store with those handguns because there's a 15-day wait. Yes.
0: Kuriyama set
3: him up perfectly. Mr. Menendez, did you know that Big Five stopped carrying handguns in March of 1986?
0: No, I don't know that. Eric was caught in a lie the mood in the room shifted. A reporter in the courtroom said some jurors looked visibly shocked. This was the prosecution's strategy. If they could show Eric had lied about the shotguns, they could imply he'd lie about anything. Most of the issues raised in court were polarizing politically and socially back then, and might be controversial even today.
1: Our criminal justice system asks jurors to find solutions to difficult problems problems that we as a society have yet to resolve. The challenge for the Menendez jurors is to decide how to balance our traditional rules of legal responsibility with new notions about what makes people tick.
0: What are the psychological effects of abuse? Is the legal system equipped to deal with this level of family dysfunction? Should victims be punished for killing their abusers? The jurors not only had to wrestle with these issues, They had to come to a consensus. People watching at home were split too.
4: And even though many people think as the OJ case is the case that marked everyone participating in a case through television, Menendez, at least here in California, was the beginning of that.
0: We know a thing or two about divisiveness in this country in our present political moment, but in that moment in the mid-90s, the Menendez trial was divisive in a way that even politics was not. You wouldn't expect that from a trial about two brothers murdering their parents, but this trial became so much more than a murder trial for America. The case seemed like it could go in any direction. Would it be manslaughter or first-degree murder, life or death? And was there a chance both juries would decide different fates for the brothers? As fall turns to early winter, the trial neared its fifth and final month of testimony, but the judge had one last surprise coming. Remember the confession tape that had been withheld from the jury? The one where the brothers told Dr. Ozeal they'd killed their parents? It was about to be played for all to hear.
2: There's no way we never could it that the
6: That was something that we had to really... It was a big thing holding us back. Uh, so. <laughs> and, uh...
0: The confession tape and more next time. Murder in the Menendez Brothers, a core TV mystery, is hosted by Vinnie Politan. It's produced by Janaki Mehta and Tanner Robbins of Neon Hum Media. Our editor is Catherine St. Louis. Our engineer is Scott Somerville. The executive producer at Neon Hum Media is Jonathan Hirsch. For Kate's Network Original Productions, Sophia Kelly is the Senior Vice President and Sean Cameron is the Senior Director. Production assistance is provided by Kate Mishkin and Haley Fager. Special thanks to Natalie Wren. You can see Court TV's complete coverage of the first Menendez trial in the Trials on Demand section on our website. CourtTV.com.